Let's turn to number 59 in the blue book. 59, praise him, praise him. And this song has one of my favorite phrases that we sing. His excellent greatness. I think we abuse the word awesome too much. I don't think we should say that this this thing is awesome or that thing is awesome. That's a word that maybe we should re- reserve for God, but that's okay. We'll We'll be accommodating to each other. But excellent greatness, I don't think we hear very often, which is cool. That one's still safe. That comes from Psalm 150. So you even know that, you know, the people who put the word together save that for the last psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So, yeah, awesome. We get to be a part of that. Um, And this is a great song. So 59, praise him, praise him. Brother Phil to share with us this morning. Certainly is good to have you here for our Bible hour time today. God bless you and bless your family as you join us together. Bill Major, it's great to have you back here. Good to see you. Glad that your ankle's strong enough so they can just using crutches get around and trust for its complete healing and being able to go back up to Upper Peninsula in just a few weeks. Trust that'll be the case. I should see Tracy. Did Tracy looking for Tracy? Oh, she she's upstairs. All right. Good to have Tracy here with us as well. Chris, I am not going to be nearly as spiritual as you were with the favorite phrase, but there in praise him, praise him as a little boy. I always enjoyed saying Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. All those S's together. Always enjoyed that very, very much. Thanks for leading us in those songs, Chris. You have your outlines with you, and it encourages us to turn to Revelation chapter 4. 160 years ago to the day today, the United States was in the midst of a great battle, the greatest battle in history on the North American continent. Two armies, the Army of the United States and the rebellious Army of the Confederacy, had fought each other to a stalemate 
Each army had taken ground, each army had held ground, each army had given ground. So at the end of the day, on July 2nd, 1863, the outcome of the battle at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, was still to be determined. The next day, following a two-hour artillery barrage at the United States Army Center, Confederate forces under the command of General George Pickett attempted to march across an open field to assault the U.S. Army where the artillery fire had been focused. The Confederates were defeated in the so-called Pickett's Charge. The Battle of Gettysburg was now over, resulting in 51,000 soldiers killed, wounded, captured, or missing. Five months later, on November 19, 1863, the burial ground for the dead at the battle was dedicated with a series of speeches. In the dedication ceremony, bands played, prayers were given, a hymn written especially for the occasion was sung, and Edward Everett spoke. Everett had served in the, for the state of Massachusetts as a United States representative, a United States senator, the governor of Massachusetts. He was president of Harvard for a period of time. He also serves as secretary of state and the United States ambassador to Great Britain. He was considered in 1863 to be one of the great orators, perhaps the greatest orator the United States had at that time. He gave an over two-hour oration explaining the battle, its significance in the war, and the Civil War in relationship to other wars in history. It was, however, a two-minute speech for the dedication of the cemetery at Gettysburg by President Abraham Lincoln that the world of literature, statesmanship, and history has taken great note and has long remembered. The speech is known as the Gettysburg Address. In this eloquent masterpiece, President Lincoln took the deaths and final resting place of the soldiers and their giving their last full measure of devotion that would make the burial ground a place of consecration that would go far beyond the ability of anyone to say anything to add to it or subtract from it. The president then turned to the, from the dead to the living, urging the living to continue the work that had been advanced by the dead to have increased devotion to the preservation of government of the people, by the people, and for the people. To do this, President Lincoln proposed and hoped that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. The purpose of the new birth was to commit the life of the nation to a government that was conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. As noble and as thrilling as these words are, as high-minded and lofty are the motives and goals of President Lincoln's speech, and for me as a boy and a young man raised in Illinois, the land of Lincoln, and the revering of Lincoln as I do, his speech and hopes fall infinitely short of a new birth that is offered by our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. As much as I admire Abraham Lincoln, had read many books about him, looked into his life and career, there has never been a time when I set aside an hour on a weekly basis to think about, meditate upon, praise the name of, worship, him or any other human being. This is reserved only and exclusively for the Son of God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord. To Him and for all eternity to come will be angelic choirs, martyred voices, saved people joining in their hymns of praise and adoration and worship. We get a taste of this in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation where the heavenly crowds join together with the words, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. The elders, the myriads of angels, and the thousands of thousands are trying the best to heap word upon word, thought upon thought, idea upon idea, in their and in our praise and worship. But nothing will fully extol the endless person and work of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That is my intent with several messages over the next many months. My theme in all the messages is, May Jesus Christ be praised. 
May our hearts, minds, and souls be turned upward in praise of Jesus Christ. Today we'll spend our time in Revelation 4 in the heavenly praise of the Lord Jesus as the Lord of creation. It says that on your outlines. A later message will explore him as the Lamb of Calvary. Revelation 5 will be for another time. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, the refrain in that hymn that we sang, May Jesus Christ be praised. Dear Lord, may it be that I never tire of praising the name of Jesus Christ. Give me eternal practice and rehearsal here on earth so that I might praise you better in the glory of heaven. May that be a theme for all of us. May the love of God and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, his tenderness, his compassion, his care, impress itself upon us. May we enter into the mind and heart and soul of God today to see how much he loves us. Dear Lord, our focus will be on his being the creator Dear Lord Jesus, on you being the creator. And it's wonderful and it's marvelous. Even more grandly, you are the Lord of Calvary. The one who loved us so very much that you died for us. So, dear Lord, help us, we pray, by the Spirit of God to think about and consider the praise that we offer to you. And we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. President Lincoln borrowed the idea of new birth from John chapter 3 in the Lord's interview with Nicodemus, where the Lord said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The Lord Jesus was not talking to Nicodemus about a national new birth for Israel. The Lord was speaking to one man about the need in his being born again or born from above. The new life which starts with a new birth is a heavenly life a life which is from heaven, a life that is for heaven, and a life looking forward to heaven, and the one who is seated on the throne in heaven. Our affections, our treasures, our eternal home with God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ is the object of our interest today. John the disciple and apostle gives us the most detailed descriptions of heaven that we have in the Bible. When I speak to boys and girls at camps or at vacation Bible school about heaven, almost all of my information comes from John's writings and from the book of Revelation in particular. Now, after the church age has been described for us in chapters 2 and 3, what's being used by a technique by John is he's taking seven churches that are in western Turkey and he's using them to speak to us not only about their present circumstances, but it's also a prehistory lesson, a prophetic lesson about the development of the church that takes place over the centuries. Then, after that, after John is finished in chapter 3 of Revelation, he now is invited to come up to heaven. After the church age is described by these seven churches in Turkey, he's invited through a door to heaven to see things which must take place After this, that is, after the church age. We're fortunate that John writes down all he sees and hears for us. Paul was taken up to heaven, but it says that he was unable to speak about the things that he saw there. The word, the old English word is unlawful, unlawful for man to speak. The idea of that is, uh, this is Paul speaking in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. The idea is it's so unbelievably marvelous that it's unspeakable. I can't really speak of it. But John, John's alert, sharp, and he writes down and records just exactly what he sees for our benefit. Let's read here in Revelation chapter 4, this entire chapter. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. After this, I look and behold a door standing open in heaven, And the voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow 
that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were seven burning torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne and on the side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you were create for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. May the Holy Spirit give his insight and understanding to the reading of his word. This thought of public reading and of the power of the word of God. It's not the orator's power, not the reader's power. It is the spirit of God taking what's been read and applying it to our hearts, minds and souls for the sake of eternity. As we've read this, John's vision is immediately captured by the throne. In chapter 4, it is a throne of grandeur. Seated on the throne is one who has the appearance of jasper or carnelian or sardine stone. God is compared to a rock in Scripture. God's compared to a stone in Scripture. Here he has the appearance of two red stones to say This is very mysterious is to understate it. This is sincerely and truly very mysterious. The throne is surrounded by a monochrome emerald green rainbow. Not multicolored like we see, but emerald is the color of the rainbow. Around the throne are 24 other thrones on which are seated 24 elders. Now, I've been taught over the years that these are 12 patriarchs from the Old Testament and twelve apostles from the New Testament on the throne. I find that unlikely, because John, who is seeing the twenty-four elders, would also have to be one of the twenty-four elders at the same time he's seeing the vision. Perhaps they are part of the angelic council of God, having authority called thrones and dominions. They're called this by Paul in his writing in Colossians chapter 1. Whoever these elders are, they appear at various times in Revelation. They are falling prostrate in worship before the living God, the Father, and before the Lamb of God, the Son. There are flaming torches that are called the seven spirits of God. In Isaiah 11, it says that the Spirit will rest upon the branch. The branch is the Lord Jesus, the picture of the Lord Jesus there in Isaiah 11, the pictorial depiction of the Lord as the branch. Seven descriptions of the Holy Spirit are given there in Isaiah chapter 11. He's called the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. It seems the thought of these seven flaming torches is a picture of the Holy Spirit in His perfection and fullness there in heaven. The triune God, God seated upon the throne, the Lamb of God who will appear in chapter 5, and the Spirit of God seen as flaming torches. There are flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder all around the throne. 
This week our house shook with the thunder that took place during the week. Heather tells me that it was rumbling last night. I have no wide awake record of that. (laughs) I'll take her word for it. Lightning, thunder, peeling all around. There is a sea as smooth as glass, as crystal in front of the throne. And the four living creatures, full of eyes and their unique appearances, crying out every hour of every day, continuously, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, who was and is and is to come. That great angelic quartet of the four cherubim around the throne of God is happening right now at this moment. They are crying out about the holiness of God, the essential of His character, who He is and what He is like. And they cannot help themselves. That is their occupation there in heaven. It says that the creatures are full of eyes. I'll never forget this. Amy, I guess, was, I don't know, six, five or six. She's coming home. Daddy and Mommy... How can those creatures have eyes all over them? I said, well, that's, that's what the Bible says. She says, even on the bottom of their feet? <laughs> I said, this is mysterious. Now, God's communicating to us. He's giving us an image, but even so, it's something that we'll have to just look at, behold, and be in wonder for an awfully long time when we get to the glory of heaven. Our minds, hearts, and souls soar in their imagination at the scene that John is seeing and describing for us. He's describing an unearthly, heavenly scene. When the living creatures give their calls of praise, there is a worshiping response by the 24 elders as they say their song, their hymn, their chant, their words of praise. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor, power. For you have created all things by your will. You have created all things by your will, and for your will they exist and are created. There are portions of Scripture where sometimes it's a little bit obscure to find things to think about and to draw out. This is not one of them. You enter into this chapter in the next chapter, chapter 5, and it's like a grand mountain of gold. It's Heather and me driving from the western side of Pikes Peak, and we see this solitary mountain in front of us. And I say to her, that's Pike's Peak. Really? That's Pike's Peak? Yes, sweetheart, that's Pike's Peak. And we drive nearer and nearer and it grows and it grows and expands. And instead of being a mountain of rock, it's a mountain of gold. That's what God's giving to us here in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation. The richness. The grandeur. The throne of grandeur. Now, after chapter 5 of Revelation... John is going to be witnessing some harrowing, horrible, and horrific realities of life on earth after the church is removed. There's going to be war, famine, earthquakes, the earth's water turned to blood, trees and vegetation destroyed, pestilence for all and persecution for some. He is going to see demons released. He's going to see the red dragon Satan in force on the earth. He's going to see the empowering by Satan of a hideous beast from the sea and a false prophet from the earth who together will rule the government, economy, and religious life of most of the people on earth with false worship of an image that's been put up in the temple in Jerusalem. All the while, the Jews that are on earth are hunted down imprisoned, tortured, and killed. And those among the Gentiles who are here who refuse to take the beast's image, worship the beast's image or take his mark 
and aid in the with the persecuted Jews. These Gentiles during this time are manhandled, murdered, and martyred by the thousands. Altogether from all these events, over half the world's population will perish in less than a seven-year period of time. Dave Glock has said the number of people killed by his calculation is closer to three-fourths of the world's population. So let's take the, lo- the lower number. That's four billion people killed in a seven-year period of time. No wonder this time is called the Great Tribulation, that nothing like this has been seen before on the earth. What is John, this observer and this writer, to think of those awful, apocalyptic, cataclysmic events that will take place on the earth that he sees and is revealed to him? Happily, joyfully, before any of this is brought before John's eyes, He sees and knows from chapter 4 and 5 that God is on the throne. All of these events are under His control, under God's control, under God's authority, and all working for His glory and praise. All the present events that are happening now, the day in which we live, are under His control, under His authority, for His glory and praise. Do we believe that? We can think of the war in Ukraine, the heating of the earth, the pollution of the land, air, and water, the massive population explosion, the violence in our cities, schools, and homes, the sexual deviations and perversions of our day, the corruption in our governmental institutions, the massive gap between rich and poor, And we say, all of this is under God's control, authority, and for His glory and praise? The answer is yes, they are. But I want to go to a much more personal area in our lives this morning. I've been quite negative in what I've said about the earth. I want to make sure that it doesn't come across completely negative. Heather's made this analogy for me. We were there in the National Gallery in London, and she looks at these extraordinarily beautiful paintings. And then she says, Phil, isn't it interesting the way the paint just sort of arrived on this canvas spot and just incidentally is there and no one had a hand in it and that it just happened. (laughs) And these paintings are imitations of the reality of the nature that we see around us. And the thrill that she and I experienced as we drove down Highway 149 there in Colorado. It's called the Silver Thread Highway. You're never out of view of a beautiful winding creek that goes along. That's the Silver Thread. And you could stop at any moment and just gaze for a half an hour, but we're driving along. And so you multiply that. You you could have stopped and stopped and stopped. But it's just this thrill of this beautiful grand and glorious scenery you have all around you. And what I dare and turn to Heather and say, isn't it marvelous the way these things have just kind of incidentally come together and by chance we have these things developing the way they are and the, the beauty of all that we see of the blending of the valley and the hills and the mountains and the sky and the clouds were absolutely spectacular. This has been the rainiest spring ever in the history of Colorado. Heather and I called it Cloudorado instead of Colorado because of the continual rain. 
There is a beauty that God has given to us and the touch of His creation which cannot be marred no matter how bent the sin of mankind enters in. God has preserved this great creation in glory for Himself and can say to us, this, this is what I do. This is how I make things. You see my touch here and it's beautiful and it's glorious. The same thing can be said about personal areas in our lives. There are relationships that are wonderful, that are pure, that are good, that are filled with understanding and humility, that are of praise and glory to God. I want to make sure that those things are in your mind that God does have a perfection, a standard, a blessedness that comes out for His glory and praise in many of our lives. But there are other areas that are problems, and I'd like to address those. All present events are happening now today in the day in which we live are under His control and authority, and I name several And now I want to talk about personal areas in our lives. The strife in your homes, the abuse that has happened or may still be happening, the disagreements, the anger, even the hatred that's expressed. The oppression you are either dishing out or receiving. The lack of communication the complete failure of communication, the failure and seeming inability to forgive one another, the circumstantial suffering we experience through the loss of a loved one, through illness, through disease, or through growing old. I know that this is a tender time of the year for some of the folks here at Northern Hills Bible Chapel because of the anniversary that this provokes because of the lost loved one in their family. You mean all of this is under God's control, authority, and for His praise? Yes, they are. I'm not trying to be smug, aloof, detached with such an announcement. I'm not trying to say like the person in Candide says, all is for the best, and this the best of all possible worlds. Here's my confession. I don't know why or how all of these things which happen in our lives some by our own willfulness, some by a lack of humility and a lack of understanding of others, especially those who we love the most, some by the fact that we live in a sinful, fallen world and the pain we inflict upon ourselves and upon others, and some by what seem to be the awful, hurtful events of life in this earth. But I do know who seeks to love, minister, comfort, guide, walk with us, and empathize with us during these times. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Though in control, He is not aloof, uncaring, or thoughtless. He's in the boat on the stormy sea. He's speaking plainly to the adulterous woman in love and care. He's touching the eyes and ears of the blind and the deaf. The isolated woman with her continual bleeding can draw upon His healing power. And while He's on this same journey to a person's home, a father and a mother who will find out they're bereaved of their dear 12-year-old daughter. From a fever of Peter's mother-in-law to a father begging for relief from his demon-controlled son. From the intimate touching on a leper to the distant healing of a nobleman's son, 
from the changing of molecules of water to wine so a wedding feast will not be spoiled, to the control of the atmosphere's winds to save the disciples and himself from what I believe was a satanic attempt to murder the Lord Jesus. He is in control. He is in authority. It is all for his glory and praise. It's true of the large thing in our lives, large things in our lives. It's also true in the small things in our lives. I was telling the dear Metacle brother and sister this morning. <laughs> this week I've talked with more people from Bangalore, India than any other time in my life. My car's larger battery charger will not connect to my phone's Wi-Fi. I have spent many hours, let me emphasize that, I've spent many hours on the phone with the folks from Bangalore struggling to help me navigate the various avenues, highways, and byways of the Internet, all trying to help me get my charger commissioned. I've been frustrated, tired, and irritated. Heather helped me to see this. She knew both the title and somewhat the content of my message this morning. And so she said to me, putting her arm on my shoulder, even this is under the Lord's control. <laughs> his authority for His glory and praise. As my daughter Amy has told me in other situations, Dad, this is a first world problem. <laughs> I'm not in need of water, food, shelter, or protection for my life. I'm not able to charge my electric car, for goodness sakes. Lord, help me have this perspective. Help me see that you are in charge. And while you're about it, how about a charge for my car? No. <laughs> All right. This past Wednesday, we had Bill and Joy Carrera with us to report on the work they are doing in Peru. Joy has gone through such a trial in her own last three years with cancer, taking away the passion of her life, being a pilot of missionary aviation fellowship planes to isolated areas in countries in South America. The treatments for her cancer that she has received, and the complications from the treatments have been very difficult, but thank the Lord, effective. She is hopeful of being given medical clearance to fly by 2024. In the meantime, she has become the MAF coordinator of flights, maintenance, fuel supply throughout the MAF system in Peru. She's the manager of passengers and cargo, weighing all items to strict limitations for the various planes, runway needs, and pilot experiences. It is amazing all the things that she does, all under the control and authority for the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. If joy had not been set aside, who would have done that ministry as efficiently and as thankfully as she has? She showed a brief before and after and then after that video. MAF uses planes that are particularly designed with low bellies in their fuselage, fuel-saving engines and wing designs so the planes can land in tight places and short runways. We saw several pictures of planes before anything happened. Then a hangar housing one of the planes collapsed on a plane from a microburst storm the plane was ruined beyond repair. Joy's, bo Joy's boss was on the video. He was emotional. The plane was a veteran of the fleet, beloved for all its work, and now having come to such an ignominious end, the boss said with tears in his eyes, I don't know how or why this is part of God's plan for His glory and praise, but it is. This is a very hard day. And then he couldn't keep talking, so overcome by the experience. Then the, after that part of the video, 
the ruined plane was replaced by a newer duplicate plane to fulfill the ministry of MAF in Peru. What a testimony to God's being in control, all under his authority, all for his glory and praise. I don't know how or why God is using various events, circumstances, joys, tragedies, trials, and triumphs in our lives, all under his control, authority, and for his glory and praise. But by faith, I will stand on this belief. By faith, so many of you in our fellowship over the years have stood by faith in this belief to the encouragement of so many. You see, dear ones, I can look around the room here. And see the stories of your lives. And know of the joys that you have experienced. But also of the great difficulties that you have experienced. All under God's control. Under God's authority. For his glory and for his praise. This is not just by faith that we take this. Phil, what are you talking about? Everything in the Christian life is faith. No, we have something much greater than that. We take John's vision of the things which must happen hereafter as prophetic fact. I want to be sure that you're clear about this. The prophecies that we had in the Old Testament regarding the Lord Jesus Christ is being born of a virgin, the place of his birth, the circumstances of his birth, the type of life that he would lead, his ministry, and then in great detail, his substitutionary death placed out for us in real detail in the series of offerings that we have in the book of Leviticus. His ministry is a kinsman redeemer in the life of the Moabite Ruth. His being a shepherd that's willing to give his life for the sheep in the whole series of shepherds that we have for us in the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ And his ministry was prophesied for us, and it came true. And we have sets of prophecies that will come true. It's just not time for them yet. The return of the Lord, the establishment of his kingdom, the authority with which the Lord will rule, it's it's all there and mapped out for us plainly in the Scripture. We take it as fact. As Peter says in his book, we are not controlled or influenced by cunningly devised fables but rather by the prophetic truth that was revealed to men of God. And so we here today, we take God's prophecies as true. And John has these prophecies for us. There is the praise of the four living creatures. There is the praise by the 24 elders. There is the praise by the countless myriad of angelic hosts, cherubim, seraphim, archangels, angels, Thrones and dominion who will be joined in Revelation chapter 5 with saved people out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, nation, joining in the praise of Jesus Christ. We have a more sure word of prophecy to encourage us in our lives. You and I will be singing a heavenly song in the eternal years in our heavenly home to the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a song for our Creator. That's a wonderful vision. It's only for those that know and love Jesus Christ as their Savior. Dear friend, God has laid out for you this eternity of glories unmatched by any adventure, any thrill, any kind of experience you could ever hope for here on earth. And God is offering it to us freely here. 
by belief and faith in Jesus Christ, and not for a temporary period of time where one grows older and unable to do those things you used to be able to do, but rather there is an eternal further up and further in. There is a growing in Jesus Christ that will never cease. There is a growing in the adventures, not only in this age, but in the ages to come, it says in the book of Ephesians. God has all of this in store for you if you'll receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you continue to reject, that's a blunt term. If you continue to reject, Phil, I haven't rejected, I just haven't made up my mind. You've rejected until this moment. If you continue to reject all of these prophetic things that I'm speaking to you about this morning, they won't be yours. Oh, dear God, the hell that awaits you without faith in Jesus Christ. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today. You must be born again. We will sing a heavenly song and a song of great glory to our Creator, the one who's in authority, in control, for his glory and praise. In my life, I've not met many creators. I'm thinking of painters, sculptors, composers, authors, poets. I do have two experiences to relate to you. (laughs) Heather and I in our amazingly thoughtless youth bought a painting at Oak Brook Shopping Center. It's a store that was there for years and years. And we couldn't afford it, but we bought it anyway. (laughs) It was an acrylic painting. It was an abstract painting, quite large. And I said, sweetheart, it's an investment. It's an investment. (laughs) So the painter himself, he was from Santa Barbara, California. He came to Oak Brook and he was going to sign painting. So he took our painting from home, flipped it over, and uh, he signed it on the back for us. Rick Mann. Name doesn't ring a bell to anybody. Uh, And there was another couple there and they were doing the same thing. They had bought one and turned over and he'd signed it. And they tried to strike up a conversation with the artist and how impressed I was by how aloof, detached, bored with these individuals this artist was, this creator was about how this was a burden to him to speak to people who had bought his work. Really how inferior they were. In Wheaton College, I attended a concert of the women's chorus there with Heather and her sister Beth. Beth is trained musically. And beautiful, beautiful music that evening with, from my point of view, was there was one exception. We heard a Bach fugue that was arranged for women's voices. Dea's Eerie from the Requiem by Mozart, beautifully sung in German. The Last Words of David by Randall Thompson. I was particularly interested in that because I'd sung that in the chorus in my high school time. And then, in the midst of all those beautiful songs, there was this cacophonous, disjointed, unmelodic, non-harmonious peace with the women standing in groups of different numbers on the stage, each one seeming to sing something that was completely unrelated to the others. Let me put it this way. You couldn't whistle the tune as you went out of the auditorium. Seated in front of us, in the row right in front of us, there was a bearded gentleman there, and he had a score of music. He was paying very close attention as the song was being sung, and he was flipping it as he went along and flipping it as he went along. Well, after the concert, Beth immediately went to this man. She shook his hand. That was great. Just great. Marvelous. (laughs) 
and she introduces, this is Mr. So-and-so. He's the composer of that music you just heard. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I do remember I said, how do you do? <laughs> and shook his hand sincerely. I remember his look at me, <laughs> this creator. And I almost could put the words, I could hear the words, you poor, musically ignorant individual. <laughs> you don't know how wonderful that piece was that I just created and you got to hear. My creator is not like that. My creator is involved. My creator communicates. My creator, who is in authority and all things under his control, for his glory and praise, he cares for me and he cares for you. My Lord of creation is a communicating, compassionate, caring, concerned, comforting, committed, constant, consistent, connected creator who loves me and cares for me and is never bored, never deems me ignorant, never does anything but tenderly bring me to his presence and welcome me and welcome me there. And as a result, I can sing with those in Revelation 4.11, as you can too. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they were and are created. May Jesus Christ be praised. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to just go so to such a shallow depth here in what you've given us to plumb here in 4 and 5 of Revelation. Thank you, dear God, for being such a compassionate, loving, present person in my life. And regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of the events, you are in control. You're in authority. You're on the throne. And it's all for your glory and praise. Help me to know that. Believe it and live it. In Jesus' name, amen.